Attention, all troops. She's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. I think I've mentioned this on the site and maybe even in the podcast, but in the 80s, there were a couple of years where my family went to Florida every year. It's a great time. For a couple of days while we were there, we stayed at this great Howard Johnson's. I love this Howard Johnson's, not just because it had an ice cream parlor and swimming pool and some video games, but because there was often other kids that I could hang out with. And often I would meet someone the first day I was there. And that person would become my Florida buddy. I can't remember the names of any of my Florida buddies at this point. So I give them names based on the activities we did. In my head, there were those two brothers who loved to play shuffleboard. There was the tree climber. There was the aptly named Canadian. Then there was the psychopath. The psychopath was quite unfortunate because I think my mother noticed that he might be a psychopath. The first day I played with him in the pool, things seemed normal. And then my mother came up to me and said, is that boy okay? And I was like, what do you mean is that boy okay? He seemed all right to me. I think she had a sneaking suspicion that something was up. So the next day, I saw him doing something under this area where all the palm trees were near the pool. And I went over to see. He was making lizards that he had caught fight each other, like pushing them into one another, trying to get them to bite one another. I was like, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just having fun. And then he threw the lizards into the bush and I made up an excuse and kind of got away from him. But it seemed at this point we were pretty much the only two kids there so he kept trying to find me out and do stuff but I was starting to get nervous when you meet a kid who likes to hurt animals all things are telling you you should run for the hills well since I wanted to swim in the pool all the time I couldn't duck him forever so I tried to casually play with him and sort of keep my eye on him make sure my family was around then he had an idea his mother had brought with them the game of life and he wondered if I would want to play it with him I didn't want to go back to his room to play it, so I suggested that we play right near the pool. thought this was a great idea. We started playing, and I kind of forgot what was going on. We were having fun, spinning the wheel, playing. Now, at home, a fun thing that we liked to do was when the other person wasn't looking, we would switch the little play pieces that went in the car. If you were a boy, we would switch it in and put a pink peg. If you were a girl, we would put the blue peg in. Then the person would look, and we'd laugh. Ha ha ha, you're a girl, ha ha ha, you're a boy. Well... We're playing, and he gets distracted for a minute, and I was like, well, this will be funny. Not remembering that this kid might be a psychopath. I switched his peg. He turns, he looks at the car for a second, and looks up at me, and I have a big smile on my face, and I'm about to laugh. He hauls back and slaps me across the face. Slaps me really hard. I was speechless. He just stared at me, and I could just picture those poor lizards, and me being pushed into another kid or something, being forced to fight them by this crazy kid's hands. So I did what any sensible kid would do. I ran for my life. And for the next day, I stayed in my room. When my mom asked me why I didn't go out, I said I was sunburned and didn't feel good. But in actuality, I was terrified, afraid for my life. I kept looking out the window and I would see him walking around as if he was looking for me and I didn't know why. Did he want to apologize? Did he want to drown me? The room I was staying in with my sisters had a view of the parking lot, so... I eventually saw his family leave and I ventured out into the world. I was much more careful about who I made friends with on those trips to Florida, and I certainly never pulled the old peg switcheroo on anyone again.
On today's show, we're going to talk about the game of life. We'll talk about its creator, Milton Bradley. We'll talk about the game's creation itself. We'll talk about its rules, its various iterations, its jumps into other mediums, and of course, its contribution to pop culture. We have some great info to cover in this show, so without further ado, let's start the show. The Game of Life, or as it's known to Game of Life aficionados, Life is a board game that was created by Milton Bradley in 1860. Back then it was known as the Checkered Game of Life, and we'll talk a little bit more about the game later. Let's talk a little bit about Milton Bradley. Milton Bradley was born in Vienna, Maine, to Lewis Bradley and Fanny Lifford in November of 1836. He attended high school in Lowell, Massachusetts, and pursued technical training as a draftsman at the Lawrence Scientific School. Sadly, he didn't have enough money to complete the two-year course, so had to drop out. He then went to live with his parents, who had moved to Hartford, Connecticut, and after that would move to Springfield, Massachusetts in 1856. There, he began work with the Wason Car Manufacturing Company, drafting plans for railroad cars. He went off to do his own thing for a while, doing independent drafting for patent seekers, but would rejoin the company pretty quickly after that and remain there until 1860. He wasn't very happy doing that work. So while doing all this, he taught himself lithography and printmaking, and he made an image of Abraham Lincoln as he was during the 1860 presidential campaign. Massachusetts was heavily Republican, as was Lincoln, so these lithographs sold pretty well. Now, here's a fun little twist in life. Lincoln grew a beard, an iconic beard, that everybody would associate with him for the rest of his life. Milne Bradley's lithograph did not have this beard, so without a marketable image, this minor success... His printing business went downhill. So Milton Bradley started scrambling and started thinking, how can I make money with my drafting skills? He found inspiration in a board game that his friend had brought back with him from Europe. He looked at it and said, well, I could make something like this and sell it to Americans. And with that, he released the Checkered Game of Life. That was in the winter of 1860. The game was a huge success. His first run of the game, which was several hundred copies, sold out in a two-day period in New York. And by 1861, 45,000 copies had been sold. We'll talk a little bit more about the checkered game of life after we finish Milton Bradley's life. So Milton Bradley is a financial success, but board games weren't the thing he wanted to do with his life. He became enamored of the growing kindergarten movement and wanted to use his wealth and skills to teach children. So for the remainder of his life, He would create educational materials, as would his company, and he would market two magazines on the new learning style subject. Both of those magazines would not be profitable, but he was so committed to this cause that he wouldn't let them run even while they weren't pulling in money. Because 
the kindergarten movement was about education and gifts that kids could handle, blocks, things like that. The Milton Bradley Company would release things like crayons, and they were the first to release crayon packages with standardized colors, the forerunners of the better-known Crayola crayons. Bradley would be married twice in life. The first time was way back in 1860, wherein he would marry Valona Eaton. They would have no children together. Then, nine years later, he would marry again to Ellen Thayer. Thayer and Bradley would have two daughters, Alice and Florence. Bradley would continue to get behind the growing kindergarten movement in the United States, right up till his death on May 30th, 1911. Today's show is brought to you by your local barbershop. Hey, you need a haircut. Why not go to the barbershop? At this barbershop, we've got the latest magazines and real fine equipment that is great. The atmosphere's pleasant conversation, the best, and oh yes. Haircut while you wait. doesn't love their barbershop. So, let's talk about the checkered game of life. As I said, it was originally created in 1860, the first game by Milton Bradley. Now, it was one of the earliest American board games, but not the oldest. The oldest, I think, is acknowledged to be a game called The Mansion of Happiness by S.B. Ives, which came out in 1843. The game of life was probably so popular because there were other games at the time, but a lot of the games that had come out were there to teach children even adults, moral messages. But Bradley took a different tact. The checkered game of life would define success in business terms, which was consistent with what was happening in America's focus at the time. Life was a quest for accomplishment, and this complemented America's fascination with obtaining wealth in the years during and after the Civil War, which is probably why portable sets of the game were so popular amongst troops during the Civil War. So the game itself, if you get to see it, looks a lot like a checkerboard. The object of the game was to land on good spaces and collect points. And you made your way up to the upper right-hand corner of the board from infancy to happy old age. To move, you spun a top or a teetotem. A teetotem, you see them now as dreidels, which are used at Hanukkah. They used teetotems at the time because dice in the Victorian era were too heavily associated with gambling, so a teetotem was often used. And if you've never seen a teetotem, it's basically a six-sided object with a stick in it, and you spin it, just like any other top. And it would land on one of those sides, and then you would have your number that you rolled, basically just a substitute for a die. So the game of life would continue to sell really well, but as time went on, people started to change, and the game needed to be redesigned. So they brought in designer Reuben Klamer to 
redo the game of life for the 1960 edition. Clamor's done a lot of work. He has over 200 toys and inventions to his credit to date. So ain't no small fry when it comes to games. So the modern game of life that you see, the one with the 3D topographical map and the plastic spinner, those were done by him. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, the modern game of life consists of a track on which players travel by spinning a wheel with spaces numbered 1 through 10. The board is interesting in that it has small mountains and buildings, other three-dimensional objects, and you move around on them. And each of the little sections of the board say something, and you react to what that is. This was the edition where they introduced the people pegs. And those are blue or pink, depending on if you're a boy or a girl. The game has a bank with money. Insurance policies, promissory notes, stock certificates. It's Yet you can play through it pretty quickly. The 1960 version would be a tremendous success and would lead to republishing over the years. There would be a 1961, 1963, 1966, 1978, 1985, 1992, 2000, and 2005. I was just at the store the other day, the bookstore, and noticed that they have a reprint of the 1960s edition of the game. So perhaps a 2009, 2010. I didn't get to check when it was printed. In the 1960s version, and in all subsequent versions, they established a method for determining what your salary would be. And salary was very important in the game. To determine that salary, a player could travel one of two routes at the beginning of the game. The shorter route was called business, and when you did that, a player would receive 5000 per payday space. The second route was called college, and depending on what career you had, you would earn between 6000 and 20000 per payday. These routes would reemerge at the first payday. This 1960s version is the one that my family had and the one I grew up with. This is the one that when you reached the end, it was called the Day of Reckoning, where you could end up at the poor farm or become a millionaire tycoon and move to the big mansion on Millionaire Acres, which is a concept that would be copied with variation in future iterations of the game. It was also the version that had celebrity Art Linkletter as its spokesman, and his likeness was on the $100,000 bills, as well as on the box. I remember seeing that and thinking, who's Art Linkletter? Of course, not too long afterwards, I figured out who he was, the host of Kids Say the Darndest Things. What's the first thing a fireman does when the four-alarm bell rings? He pulls up his pants. What would you do first if you were president? Keep my mouth shut. (laughs) Spell, um... Art. R-A-T. What a great show. Mind you, this is 1960, but we're already at the 100th anniversary edition of the game. And the game would say that on the box and call it a full 3D action game, which is funny since topographically it was 3D, but not 3D in the sense that we all think of nowadays. In the 1970s, some things would remain the same. You would still drive the cars, but they started increasing the price of everything in the game to reflect what was going on in the United States with inflation. In the 80s, they would get rid of the cars and replace them with minivans. It was not a great day for the game of life. They would also add life events to the game in the 70s. When you added new members to the family, you would collect presents from all your opponents. So... When you got married, you would spin the wheel, 
and depending on what you spend, you would get money. In these versions, the stock market would also play a much more important role. They also added this weird gambling that allowed you, if you were behind, to take a final chance to become the millionaire tycoon. With the game, there was this colored cardboard strip with numbers and colors on it that I think every time I played it with anybody, we completely ignored. You would take your car and put it on one of those numbers and then spin the wheel. If you selected the number correctly, you automatically won the game, which I think is why we ignored it, because that seems so pointless. You play this game for 45 minutes, and then toward the end, you're like, hey, why don't I just spin the wheel and see if I won? You just do that before you spin the wheel the first time, and you could rack up 60 games an hour that way. And now, this message. He's here! My mystery day! Mystery day! The thrilling new Milton Bradley game of romance and mystery that's just for you. And you. And you. And you. Mystery date. Will you be ready for swimming? Or a dance? When you open the door, will your mystery date be a dream? Or a dud? Oh! Fun and surprises. That's mystery date. Remember, Milton Bradley makes the best games in the world. So, girls, open the door for your mystery date. Get mystery date. Creepy crawlers, creepy crawlers, creepy crawlers. Now, you can make all kinds of lovely things like these with Mattel's wonderful... It makes creepy crawlers, spiders, lizards, snakes, dragonflies. Make them yourself with this nice plastic goop. Choose a mold, pour in the goop, heat it, and presto changeo, you've got bugs. Squiggly, squirty bugs. It feels so soft and natural. You get four different colors of goop and special pins. Make charming lizard pins or spider rings. You can collect them or spread them around. After all, they are fun for the entire family. <laughs> get Mattel's new thing maker with creepy crawlers. You can tell it's Mattel. It's swell. I made 50000 in the stock market today. I had twins. I went to the poor farm. I'm on Millionaire Acres. That's life. The game of life. The game of life. You will learn about life when you play the game of life. First you start out with 2000 then a car. I got a car. You got a car. Then you may go straight to college just to get a lot of knowledge. Or to business if you think you'll go as far. I'll be a star. You may go far. The game of life. The game of life. Hey, I'll get revenge. You'll get revenge. I got revenge. You got revenge. Milton Bradley makes the best games in the world. So play the game of life. That's life. In the 90s, the game of life started to reward players for good behavior. Stuff like recycling and helping the homeless. They also changed the 
paths from business and college to career in college. Selecting the college route put the player in debt from the very start, but the probability of landing a better job usually diffused the cost of that. A major change to the game was the addition of life tiles. As a person progressed through the game, every time you land on a space marked with a life logo, you get a life tile, which was a small rectangular game piece with the life logo on one side and an event on the other, along with the money that you would collect from that accomplishment. And there, some of them are silly, like curing the common cold or building a better mousetrap, and then others are awesome, like climbing Mount Everest. These tiles are not revealed until all the players have retired at the end of the game, at which point they're flipped over and their total is added to the player's money total so we can find out who won. And there's some choices at the end you have to make as to where you're going to retire based on what you think. If you think you're going to be the big millionaire, you get extra tiles. So it's actually a little bit more of an interesting gaming system. In 2000, a 40th anniversary edition of Life was released which I would think would be the 140th anniversary edition, but it's the 40th anniversary edition of the 1960 iteration of the game. The big change in that one was that they took out Travel Agent and replaced it with Computer Consultant. Weak. In 2005, the game came out again. I haven't played this version, but from what I understand, they took out some elements trying to reduce chance in the game, which I've always been a big fan of. Although, the game is still primarily a chance-based game, and rewards you for taking risks. They added this thing where, depending on the career you had, you had a special attribute for that career. So say you decided to become a computer consultant. Anytime the spinner stops between numbers or comes off the track, you get money to fix it, which I imagine you could game pretty well if you could modify your spinner to fly off all the time. In addition, there's a space in the game where you could sell your house which I think probably was influenced by all the house-flipping shows that started to show up on TV in the new millennium. Also, the value of those life tiles that I mentioned earlier were reduced in order to change the randomness of game wins that could happen based on someone having tiles. They used to be 50000 to 250000 in value. They were dropped to... 10,000 to 50,000. So they were great to have, but if you had the most tiles, it didn't necessarily mean you were going to win. In 2007, yet another iteration of the game came out. This one dropped the special abilities of the career paths, except for the police officer one. And now, these messages. My baloney has a first name. It's O-S-C-A-R. My baloney has a second name. It's M-A-Y-E-R. Oh, I love to eat it every day. If you ask me why, I'll say, cause Oscar Mayer has a way with B-O-L-O-G-N-A. Oscar Mayer, the first name in Bologna. How's that? What's this stuff? Some cereal. It's supposed to be good for you. I'm not going to try it. Let's get Mikey. Yeah. He won't need it. He hates everything. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. Regular, cinnamon, and raisin life. Nutritious, delicious. You owe me $95,000, and I want it now. But what about me and my four children? I'm going to have to sell the cattle ranch. 
How much? Two hundred thousand dollars. Oh, I've got to pay my father-in-law ten thousand. All right, I buy insurance. Decisions, decisions. Oh, pay me. Lawyers, salary, please. There's a game called life that's really worth living. You and your family have got to play it. The game of life from Milton Bradley. So, of course, in 1998, a computerized version of the game of life was released by Hasbro on CD-ROM. It had computerized moves and short animations of the game. It also gave people the ability to play games over something called the internet. This version had things like collecting presents and pretty much followed a lot of what you would come to find in the 80s and 90s version of the game of life. It did have this really interesting enhanced version of the game where the life tiles would be replaced with little mini arcade games that you would play, which if you won, you would get bonus money. Kind of cool, but could really slow down the pace of the game. There would be dozens of versions of the game of life. The co-branding mania that seemed to strike America in the new millennium would make things like an Indiana Jones edition, a SpongeBob SquarePants edition, a Wizard of Oz edition, you name it. It would also come out on systems like the Game Boy Advance, and it would be available on modern gaming consoles as part of Hasbro's family game night, and that would be on Xbox 360, Wii, and PlayStation 3. Now there's this book that I was reading about called The Game of Life, How to Succeed in Real Life No Matter Where You Land. It's written by Lou Harry in 2003. From what I understand, it takes the strategy and the idea of the game of life and turns it into a book about how to live your life. I've never read it, but I've seen reviews of it, and some people seem to really like it a lot. So if you are a big fan of the game of life and need direction in your life, perhaps Lou Harry's book will help you out. The Game of Life has made appearances on TV. There was an episode of Adult Swim's Robot Chicken that involved a blue and pink peg that starts off pretty happy and then gradually turns very dark. It appears, of course, on that 70s show. And there was a parody of The Game of Life called Living in a Season 9 episode of South Park. The Game of Life is so popular and so important to American culture that it is now a permanent part of the collection of the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. So the game's kind of a big deal. If you don't know the joy of spinning that wheel, then I suggest you run out to the store. Almost everyone sells the game of life. Even most local pharmacies will have a copy in their toy section, along with some version of Monopoly. While although Monopoly is a much more popular game, I think that Monopoly and the Game of Life kind of go hand in hand. My friends and I like to play both of those games and would kind of switch off depending on when we got sick of one or the other. It's a really fun game to pull out on game night. It has an element of randomness that can get annoying at times. But if you're lighthearted and have fun with it, it can make for a great rainy day distraction. Just make sure if you switch that blue peg to a pink peg that the person that you're playing with isn't going to shove that peg into your eye. High above us, way up yonder, planets wander through the starry skies. While we gaze at them and ponder, they just wander on. Stars appear to blink. But the plan
Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. Thanks to Peachy for the music you hear at the beginning of the show. If you have musical needs, why not email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. If you have a spare minute, I really would appreciate if you could drop by iTunes, look for the Retroist listing, maybe take a minute to give us a rating. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Which is the biggest? Jupiter. Which is the brightest? Venus. Which one has a ring? Saturn. Which one is most likely to support life? Mars. Which one is nearest the sun? Mercury. Which is the one we love the best? Good old Mother Earth. High above us, way up yonder, planets wander through the starry skies. While we gaze at them and ponder, they just wander on. You know what goes well with a podcast about the game of life? Tic Tacs. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.